Hello and welcome back to HTCML, How Technology Changed My Life podcast. In this episode, you will learn that as a child, Darnika was not exposed to STEM, but has had a successful career in STEM for over 20 years. She is now making it her responsibility to expose youth to STEM. Sit back, listen, and enjoy this episode. So I would like to thank Ms. Darnika Riley for coming on How Technology Changed My Life podcast. Um, we're going to sit back and get to li- know a little more about her and just have a good old conversation. So just to get us started, what were some of your hobbies as a kid? Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I grew up and I'm going to date myself a long time ago. <laughs> So as a kid, so I technically grew up as a latchkey military base adjacent child. So we did what was most convenient. Um, As a young person, believe it or not, we started skating. Like we used to go to the roller rink every Saturday morning and be there from like 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. My mom would drop me and my sister off and we would take lessons Mm-hmm. And if you took lessons, you got to stay for the free skate mm-hmm. okay. as a part of it. So she just said, hey, it's a great way to get rid of the kids every Saturday. And I we did that for years, um, probably from when I was seven, eight years old until high school, every oh. single Saturday um, to where I was considered a professional backward skater. <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. Now don't, don't get me on a skating ring now because I probably wouldn't know what to do or it would take me a minute to remember. Um, but yeah, we did that. And then we bowled because bowling was my mom's favorite thing. So I know that's random from a hobby perspective. No, um, I mean, those are hobbies. I mean, they are hobbies that can lead into careers, but they are hobbies. Especially that bowling. Is, you could be a professional bowler. That is true. I can't bowl anymore. But yeah, I mean, that, that was also a way my mom bowled in a league. So that was a way for her to bring us along. So we bowled in the children's league adjacent to her adults league. So that's probably the basic hobbies. <laughs> so that's interesting that your hobbies were um, bowling and skating. So but your career led you into tech. So. Because, you know, some of the other people I've interviewed, some the things they did as a kid tinkering and fixing and breaking stuff is kind of like what led them into their tech career. So what led you like when were you first exposed to technology to be like, OK, this is where I'm going? Well, so th- that's kind of a funny story. So once again, I grew up military adjacent. Everyone around my family, everyone I knew were was associated with either the Air Force or the Army or the Marines. Most of my family, specifically the men, um, joined the military. That straight that was the path straight out of high school. So that was what I thought I would do. Um, but I was also, you know, the whole tinkering and and wanting to to ask questions. I was that kid, but I was also the res- you know reserved kid that didn't push the boundaries because I know I had a certain box to sit in. Um, but I was also the, the smart kid. I was, I could read by the age of two. Oh, wow. um, I was in school by the age of three. Um, I, I was really good in reading and math and all of those things abnormally good um, as a young person. 
But the whole idea of engineering and STEM and all of that never even crossed my mind because I wasn't exposed to it. Right. Like I, we went to the base and I'm like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going into the air force. You know, that was kind of like my re me, my uh-huh. resigned. I'm going into the air force. That's what I'm going to do. Um, but it really was high school, believe it or not. Okay. It was high school. Um, I got involved in a program. I'm originally from Southern California. Um, it was called MESA, um, Mathematical, or yeah, Mathematical Engineering and Science Achievement. And I got involved in it in high school um, via NSBE, National Society of Black Engineers. And um, at one of the local universities, specifically Cal Poly Pomona, was close to where I grew up. Um, they had these camps every summer. So I started there and I started understanding, oh, okay. So this thing that I had, this aptitude that I have, it could be something else. Um, But at the same time I was in ROTC, Air Force ROTC (laughs) being trained um, to go into the Air Force and about 10th grade, you start, you take this exam. And um, ASFAB, exactly. I I took the ASFAB. I took actually took the ASFAB four times um, trying to get a different result. Um, Because every time I took the ASFAB exam, it said 99th percentile electrical engineering. Really? Every (laughs) single time I took it. I was like, I don't want to do electrical engineering because I hate circuits. (laughs) Because I, you know, and also um, in high school, like I was in calculus by my junior year, um, calculus A by junior year, calculus BC by senior year. I had passed the calculus AP exam. Um, when I went to college, I skipped um, the first three calculus classes and then went straight into um, essentially third year calculus as a freshman. Um, I got early entry to my college, but all of that is because of MESA. And the fact that I took this ASFAB exam and it would only let me do electrical engineering and I did not want to do that with my life. And I knew I wanted to go to college. And if I wasn't going to go to the Air Force Academy on a full ride scholarship, I got the congressional recommendation and all of that. Um, Why why do that if I couldn't do what I wanted to do? So I went to Cal Poly San Luis Obispo instead (laughs) and took the major that I felt that I wanted to do. And um, that was, once again, it's all high school and and just random things. So I got into this program called Earthwatch um, that my sophomore year of high school. And they flew me up to Oregon. I spent two weeks in the middle of the climate um, forest camps next to the Klamath River and we were under an environmental engineer we were doing water we were testing the water and understanding how it was impacting the local house pit sites which is where um, Native Americans you know hundreds of years ago actually used to reside so we tested the water to understand how it was actually damaging those sites. And then we would actually go to those sites and look for artifacts and, and log them and map them and do all this stuff. So three weeks in the forest, um, following an environmental engineer, that's probably the thing that was like, I want to be an environmental engineer. Mm-hmm. I want to go into water and I want to understand how it is to bring clean water to people. 
And I want to figure out how is it possible to create a portable desalinization unit that you can take to local villages that can actually clean water. Wow. And that was my goal. That was my dream. And I went to Cal Poly San Luis Obispo. And then reality hit. (laughs) The reality hit is in, you know, when I was in college, um, environmental engineering wasn't the thing. Yeah. You had one track for environmental engineering and that was EPA. Mm. And um, technically, even to actually specialize in it, um, I got to take the gambit in undergrad. And I went from mechanical to civil to... Mm-hmm. electrical, you know, you have to take a little bit of everything. Right. But as an environmental engineer, I had to specialize in chemistry. Okay. So I took the whole O-chem um, all the way up to biochem and took my very first environmental engineering class my senior year. And I was like, in a, you know, you know, talking to my counselor, because you don't talk to them to your senior year. Cause that's when you actually take um, at that time your environmental classes. And I was like, I want to specialize in water. And they're like, yep, nope, hazardous waste. That's all we do here. Oh, so they didn't even have it as an option. They didn't even they have it as an option. know that until later. Until very late. Well, yeah, so you're almost done. <laughs> well, yeah, but the great thing, and, and, and I completely value that particular program because I got to take the, I got to go across all the different right. engineering disciplines right. that- exposure. Exactly. I got to see what mechanical was like. I got to see what civil was like. I got to see what um, electrical, unfortunately, (laughs) was like. But I also got to program. I also got to program. And um, I actually found out I was pretty good at code. And, you know, I took the leap. I actually left college and I got an internship. And I was like, I got to figure out what I want to do with my life because obviously it's not environmental and no one around here specializes in in water which is what I really wanted to do right so I was like okay let me take this internship at this it was actually a dot com um and I was able to test you know we we built Linux devices okay so I used to build servers um and desktops um that were specifically loaded with preloaded with Linux Um, as the OS and then do like the basic, whether it was going to be a file server, print server, that type of thing. And I did that, um, that internship, internship um, (laughs) went from a summer internship to a six month internship to a year to two years as I was progressing through. And I was like, I'm technically on a break. Um, And just trying to figure out, I, getting more and more into technology, getting more hands-on. Um, and it just evolved until I was like, you know what? I can't go back to environmental engineering. Yeah. Yes, I have 21 units till for me to graduate. This is, this is the thing that not a lot of people know. I had 21 units to graduate when I stepped away and had to kind of take a pulse and go, do I really want to do this? Do I really want to go down the route and get this degree in hazardous waste when I have no right desire <laughs> no desire no dreams and I don't want to do anything with that degree is that going to be valuable to me you know I have my family going just get it right yeah 
That would be the thing I would think I would hit your family would say or any or professor. And so for you to be bold enough because they're like, oh, well, just get it in. You don't have to work in it, but just finish, you know, because sometimes that's what you hear. It's like as long as you have the piece of paper, that's all that matters. And then you can go and get what you want. But I applaud you for having the discernment at that age because we don't at that age to be like, mm, I don't want this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that and that was the thing. And and no matter what, you know, because when I decided not to go to the Air Force Academy, my mom was like, you're on your own anyway. So it's not like I had to, to say, hey, I'm changing and I need to help pay for it. Because she's right. like, as soon as I left, she was like, nope, your path was Air Force Academy. That was going to be fully funded. That's what I signed up for. I didn't sign up for this going to a state college. No, you, you figure it out. Yeah. So it was always on me. Um, and technically, you know, when I graduated high school, I was 17 and I left home literally two weeks after high school graduation because I had early entry to my college. So right. from that age, I was like, OK, I got to figure it out. I got to figure it out. And that's probably why I was I wouldn't call it bold, but it was just like, OK, I'm investing in me. Right. This is, this is, this is all me. Um, If it takes six years, if it takes eight years, I want to get on the path that I feel is really what I'm destined for. Right. And that's where I took that pulse. I actually um, had to change schools um, because I was going from environmental and I went from um, Cal Poly San Luis Obispo to I was eventually going to end up at Cal State Long Beach because I was working in um, the L.A. area and Long Beach was the closest that I could transfer to and and still keep my once again, I was trying to keep that day job because it was helping pay for everything that I was doing. Um, But in between those two. I changed to, I was going to change to computer science, but once again, how do I get out of school the quickest way? And still be able to do what I want to do. So I changed to um, information management with an emphasis in application development. And to do that, I had to spend a year at a community college getting a couple programming classes that didn't quite transfer under my belt so I can transfer over to Cal State Long Beach. And believe it or not, um, as soon as I transferred um, and as soon as I got on that path, I was like, I was supposed to be here all along. Like, why was I, why was I doing the tour of engineering and why was I doing this other stuff when all of this is so easy? Like before it was just like, okay, I don't really like mechanical, but okay, it's good to get exposed to it. But as soon as I got in and started doing application development and started down that path, number one, I was getting straight A's. Right. And it was just like, wow, I don't have to struggle for this. Yeah. Cause like, you know, growing up through school, I didn't have to struggle. I didn't have to really study because I was, it came naturally to me. Right. right. And once I started doing stuff that I wasn't interested in, it didn't come naturally to me. Yeah. But as soon as I changed and as soon as I got on that path, I was like, oh, yeah, this is me. And I just excelled. And so I think oh. that's a very good point that you just made is young adults and adults and students, we feel like it has to be hard. Our careers have to be this big old, oh my God, I'm getting this degree in this because I have to do this. 
But it's like doing what comes natural to you is going to make your career fun. It's going to make your life fun. It doesn't have to be a struggle. And I don't think we've ever been taught that. Yeah. I, I think we've always been taught of hard work produces X, Y, and Z. But it's like, that's why I asked the question about where, what are your hobbies? Because I'm just always curious if people are working in something that they like to do because hobbies sometimes lead to career. You know, for me, one of my hobbies as a kid was photography because my aunt used to always take photos. We used to have fun with that. And I used to do it and I do it every now and then. And I'm trying to get back to it. Um, just to take photos for fun when it became a career and everybody and put all these expectations on hire me. I was like, I'm not doing this anymore. I just like to do it for fun. I do have the skill set. So doing something that comes natural, I think is something we don't communicate very often to young adults and young children about no, just because X, Y, and Z makes this amount of money. No, because if you're doing it for the love and the natural, the income and resources that you need will come with it is how I feel. Yeah, absolutely. And and what's funny is I never picked the I never picked anything specifically for the money. Right. That's that's the funny thing, because if I wanted the sure thing, I would have gone right of the Air Force. Yeah, because I was on the track to. um go to the Air Force Academy. My, my mom, and I'm taking a step back here. She actually worked for uh, ballistic missiles oh. under Air Force. So she worked in the propulsions department. There was a team of just these crazy smart engineers. And every time I would walk into their office, there were all these crazy math problems on the board. And I know I'm out of order, but I do have to say this one thing, because this is probably the one thing that stuck with me. I was a junior, I think. No, maybe. Yeah, I was. No, I was a senior. Um, and we were in her office for the weekend and I was looking at the calculus equation on the board. And I was once again an A in BC calculus at this right. time. And I was just looking at the equation. And I was like, hey, mom, that's wrong. <laughs> just one, just randomly. And she was like, she was like, do you know who did that? You know, that is like the head, you know, statistical engineer here and I was like yeah but they that that exponent on that particular part of the equation is wrong I'm gonna write it out and what I think it should be and then you give it to the guy and you know no harm no foul but I think that one thing is wrong and I think it makes everything else here wrong um and that one little thing and my mom she came back the very next day and she's like Darnika (laughs) <laughs> you probably saved us from blowing up a bomb. <laughs> wow. That's so you were a Katherine Johnson. <laughs> well, no, it was just looking at the equation. It's like, huh, that, that's that right there is not right. So, um, but it was just so, something random and maybe, yes, I was exposed. Like I had a laptop in the eighties and because my mom worked with ballistic missiles, um, or she worked in that department. Yeah. I got exposed to things, but I never, in, in my head, that's what I thought I would be doing. And they were paid well. Right. So it did, it did take a lot to step away from that. But then again, that was somebody else's idea of my future versus right. my idea of my future. Right. And yeah. it always felt forced. Yeah, a lot of, I mean, as you said, it was a family tradition to go into this. And so, I mean, that's the same thing with family businesses. Oh, you're going to work in the family business. Well, I really don't want to work in the family business. So, yeah, so I, I, like I said, 
I commend you because you you didn't go the traditional route in the sense of I'm starting here, I'm finishing here. It's like I'm starting here, but this is not feeling right. I need to figure that out and to go find an internship to find your passion and your love. I think that's pretty amazing. So so we've heard about your path to STEM, which you've been in all Crazy. aspects of STEM. Like you didn't just touch one. You've been in all the different aspects of STEM. And so I think that definitely it gives you a broader perspective about it um, in, in that and knowing and it, you having your information management degree that also helps you to be able to talk to those different disciplines because you've had that experience and that. And so how has that propelled you into your current career and talk a little more about that? Yeah. I mean, so information management, so I'm very analytical at the end of the day. I am, I am analytical. I look at, uh, I compare and contrast. I, I, that is who I am. So technically my information degree turned into what is what was early data science um I went from that internship um I spent a lot of time there and I learned a lot but I got this random opportunity to interview while I was still finishing my degree at Cal State Long Beach by the way um I got to interview at Toyota I interviewed at Toyota (laughs) Didn't get the job, but I. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I interviewed at Toyota Motor Sales in Torrance, California. Now, this is before they moved to Texas, but I interviewed there and I got the job. So I worked. Um, so I left the little dot com that I worked at and I went to major company um, and I worked in their software development project center um, probably for two and a half years. And originally, I was hired to work on a program that helped with um, their software development lifecycle, making sure that defects and all that kind of stuff were were taken care of. And and because I had switched to information management with an emphasis in application development, it was actually, I knew I was right because everything I was doing at work was stuff I was learning. It was almost like, Work preceded school. Mm-hmm. So when I went to and took the classes, I was like, oh, I just did this six months ago. This is going to be easy. Yeah. Oh, I just did this like two months ago. This is going to be easy. So like I said, that's where like it just felt natural because, okay, I'm doing this. I'm good at this. I started doing QA tests. Um, then it got into bug scrubs and, and defect. And then I became the, the person that ran all the change request boards. Um, and then just randomly, uh, because I was very organized and very detailed with everything that I did, uh, one of the managers that I was working for moved departments. So she moved from the project center and she started working in the office of the CIO. Mm. And um, she was like, Darnika, I want to poach you. <laughs> I know you like working here and I know that you're really good at this, but I think you can do more. Yeah. So I'm going to poach you and I'm going to bring you over to the office of the CIO with me because um, I helped her kind of do some proof of concepts, which I think is what got her that job. Oh, okay. And because I helped her with some proof of concepts, she wanted me to start executing on those proof of concepts, which ended up being KPI dashboards for the CIO of the company. Hmm. Cool. 
So I moved over and started doing that. And it's like, here I am, haven't even quite graduated school yet. I was like six months away from graduation. I had spent two and a half years in the project center. And then all of a sudden I'm working in the office of the CIO. I don't even have a college degree yet. (laughs) (laughs) But they knew your potential and they knew what you were doing. And I think that's a lot of things that, um, you know, degrees are very useful. Yes. But relationships and networking are very vital in all career aspects. And I think um, that's what doesn't really get communicated a lot, especially in the college realm. It's like, okay, do this, do this. But it's like you I mean, and so when I say when we say relationships, it also comes down to you have a mentor and a sponsor. Mm -hmm. Yes. in In my case, mentorship was always talked about and having a mentor but sponsors didn't, I didn't learn about sponsors until I was way later in my career. And I think what you just said is she was your sponsor. She was the one who moved you up and because, and I don't even know if sponsors was actually a word that people use back then. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's what it is. It's like, who's going to speak on your behalf in the room of executives for you to be able to move to the next level. And we, um, we don't do enough of that within our community. I don't think yeah. it's, it's how other communities have thrived um, in careers and corporate. And that's one of the things I think we have to get better at. Absolutely. Cause I know I was just, I didn't know what I was doing. I'm, I'm just going to be honest because I stepped out of everything that everyone around me knew. Right. Like nobody in my, in my immediate family did anything with corporate America. No one even knew where to start. So the whole sponsor, mentor, I didn't know. My, what I did know is let me do the best that I can do. Let me show up. And, and once again, the great thing is I just, I don't want to say I accidentally fell because I believe in destiny and God and putting me on the right trajectory. Right. And, right. and it just put me on this path to where the work that was given to me, once again, it was natural to me. It was I don't want to say easy because it's hard work, but it was fun. Yeah. And I felt like whatever I was doing mattered. So I invested my time and I continued to to just focus on the output because I was having fun doing it. And yes, I was getting paid. But once again, I've, everything I've done has never been about pay. That has never been my my number one reasoning for selecting a job is, am I going to learn something? Am I going to grow a skill set that I really am trying to leverage? And how am I going to be able to add value? Is this a place I can add value? Those are the biggest things. Because I I know I'm that person that if I'm not adding value, I'm like, why am I here? Right. And not just sitting back, like, you know, just sitting back, but like, oh, I'll just enjoy this paycheck because it's a nice life. Exactly. Exactly. Now, well, I can't say everything um, was wasn't paycheck related, but we'll get there. Do you <laughs> before? Do you have another question before I transition? <laughs> well, yeah, no. Well, my next question is just you know how long have you been working in the STEM field and in your current career? Oh boy, jeez. Um, I'm probably close to twenty five years now. Yeah, about twenty five years. And so just um, take us down the path of what happened after Toyota and where you're at now and what 
what opportunities STEM have brought to you now? Oh, gosh, yeah. Well, so Toyota, once again, great. Um, I loved it. The person that was my mentor ended up, or I actually didn't even know she was my mentor. Um, I didn't know she was my sponsor. Um, but I ended up working for a different manager in the office of the CIO, doing my thing, graduated. Um, and then once I finally graduated, I'm like, okay, this is, this is going to be the thing. This is going to be the thing that I'm going to be doing. I love this team. I love this job. I know I'm, I know I'm adding value. I'm not only working and doing KPI dashboards for the CIO, I get to interview her VPs. I get to interview presidents of different business units in, in Toyota. Um, and I get to collect all of the data that they give me and turn it into something that shows the health of what's going on with this organization. Um, and I had a great manager who was so supportive. Um, and I'm, I'm going to put him out there. His name is Zach Hicks. Uh, and I still remember his words. Now, he was truly a sponsor and a mentor for me because he was the one that would always challenge me after. He was like, you can do more. You can do this. You can do this. Yeah. Um, he's currently the CEO of Toyota Connected. Um, and still to this day, I think about a lot of things that he told me. Um, but it's also because of him that I moved to Intel. And that is the most random story in the whole wide world that I still don't have an answer to. Um, I think I went, I think it happened because I went to a Nesby conference and I went to a Nesby conference. I think it was in Dallas or something like that um, in 2004 and, you know, when you're happy with your job, sometimes you go grocery shopping in the career fair at Nesby. <laughs> and I think I was grocery shopping in the career fair at Nesby. And I may have stopped at the Intel booth. I don't remember. Um, <laughs> and back then, they required for you to actually get some of the freebies. You had to have a resume. So I put up just like this basic resume here. Can I have that? Right. I really want that thing right there. So, and then kept, kept it moving. Right. I didn't talk to them in detail, didn't do anything, because um, if I did and intentionally did, I maybe would remember it. But I don't. <laughs> and even then I was like, oh, how'd you get my phone number? <laughs> so I got a phone call out of the blue, literally just out of the blue. I got a phone call at my house saying we have your resume and you have the skills that we're looking for. Would you mind if we fly you to Arizona um, for an interview? And I was like, hmm, number one, how'd you get my phone number? Uh, number two, let me think about it. Can I call you back or can I email you back um, in the next day? And um, I actually went into the boss, Zach Hicks office and said, you know what? I got a call from Intel to come and interview. And the first thing he said to me was like, you need to, you, you get this Friday off. Go ahead, go make that flight. Because if you don't go, how are you ever going to know your worth? Mm, that's a good one. He's like, I love you here. But how do you know you? How do you know your worth? Because you've, you've been kind of moving around. Find out an outside perspective. Wow. So I was like, thank you. I'm going to go. So I took a Friday off, flew out to Arizona, um, Intel at the time. This was the time where they were doing the all-day interviews. My interview oh. actually started at 7 a.m. and it finished at 5 p.m. Um, and it was, I spent an entire day in a conference room and people were coming in and out of the conference room. 
then you took a break at lunch and then you technically went to lunch with someone and it right. was technically an interview. Right. Um, and then you went back into that conference room and you had people coming in and out all day until you were done. Um, but then they actually paid for housing for the weekend as well as a rental car. So I stayed Friday, Saturday, Sunday in Arizona, just driving around Chandler, just trying to figure out what's the lay of the land. What does it look right. like? Do I even like this? I mean, I'm, I'm in LA. Like, how am I going to give up L.A. for this? Like, do you know what I do in L.A.? Do you know my, you know, where I used to work was um, right down the street from Honey, from um, Redondo Beach. Oh, okay. So I would spend my lunches going to the Redondo Beach Pier and eating at this little hole in the wall and just staring at the ocean. I was like, how am I going to give up my lunches doing that? Like, can I, where is the ocean in Arizona? I ain't never been to Arizona. Why would I even consider this place? But I drove around. I was like, eh, I guess it doesn't look so bad, you know? And then I went back on Monday. And by Monday morning, I had the offer letter in my email. And I printed it out. And I was like, holy, whoa, this is not what I make here at right. <laughs> Toyota. <laughs> I guess this is my work. So I um, gave my offer letter to my manager at the time, Zach. He looked at it and he was like, Bye. oh boy. <laughs> and um, he was like, let me see. Because it was significantly more than what I was making there. Right. right. So he lobbied for me. And at the time, the CIO said, eh, no, it's not yeah. worth it. Cannot. Not worth it. And he was like, now, this is going to sound crazy but this is how this was our relationship he came back after i think he spent like two hours in her office and he was like all right darnika here it is if you don't take this offer i'm gonna slap you <laughs> and he it literally straight right. face and everything he yeah. was like i actually think you're worth more than this but you could you you at least found an outside perspective of how much you're, you're worth right and unless you go and take this opportunity you're not going to get this here. Right. I have faith in you, but I don't control this immediate budget. My boss does. Yeah. And my boss happens to be the CIO. And while she was great, she actually was great. And um, she just was like, yeah, no, here's what I'm willing to pay for this particular role. Here's what, what I think it's worth. Yeah. So I was like, okay, fine. And there was a couple other things besides that, that went into my perception. Number one, I went from nothing in a project center to office of the CIO in three years. Right. Where else was I going to go in that company? Their, their IT department was only about 1,200 people. Intel, at the end of the day, I was going back down to the bottom. So there was, and, and not only was I going back down to the bottom, I was going into fun times with data and, you know, making sense out of just this craziness and it was just it sounded so exciting right and um I was like yeah you know what it's not that I don't love it here it's not that I don't love the team but I probably have reached all that I can do here right right so maybe it is time for me to make that next change and move on so I did you know but in the meantime I gave him three months probably more than any else, anyone else would do, but I wanted to make sure that they were set up for success right? Uh, because I ended up, I was doing a lot. And in my head, I really wasn't doing that much. 
But um, when I put it to the folks that were going to try to take off over my roles, they were like, oh, wow. Multiple people to do the job you were doing. Right. Exactly. So um, I transitioned different parts and I transitioned this part or transitioned that part. Um, and I, I came to Arizona a week before I was supposed to start. And that was July. Um, and I'm going to date it. July 2005. You moved to Arizona in the hot of summer? I did. I did. Threw all my little stuff in a U-Haul and drove from L.A. 80-something <laughs> degrees. To no, it was more than, yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know, no June gloom because, you know, in, in L.A. in the summers, you wake up and it's like foggy and gloomy and then it would break about 11 o'clock. And, yeah. and yeah, we packed up a, my little U-Haul and came here, found my apartment, um, Actually found my apartment online and then came here and um, signed the lease and everything and then just moved and started work and was like, this is fun. And my first day at Intel, they're like, okay, we know you have experience. So here's a document. This is uh, all our network status. And um, it was like a hundred thousand lines of data. Wow. And they're like, we know it says something and here's how much we're paying to maintain our global network. And we think we're paying too much. I need you to take this data and make it make sense. Number one. And number two, see if there's opportunities for us to cut costs to make us more efficient. Hmm. So I was like, okay, I can do that. Brown running, huh? Yeah. I'm like, I could do this. I could do this. This is just data. <laughs> this is just data analysis. This is just looking at it, finding your commonalities and figuring out things. And I, and literally within the first six months of me being at Intel, I had saved $7 million. Wow. Because they were paying for stuff they didn't own. They <laughs> didn't even know it. So it was in the sheet, you know, in this, this document. And it's like, yeah, um, this don't exist no more. This is a university. That's not yours. You know, it's just like, and, and just, just, pulling through this. And, um, by the time I finished and it, mind you that, that sounded like a big thing, but I just kept going and, and doing more and doing more. And it was just so much fun because I was in my, my data, my data analysis, happy space. And you're seeing the value you're bringing to the, uh, to the company, to the organization. It's like not, not a lot of people are able to see their value that I mean, first of all, the salary they just give you to tell you your worth. So you came because of that and some other benefits probably in there. And now you get an assignment from day one that you're able to bring value to the company and be fun for you. I mean, yeah, that's that's like the perfect the perfect storm of a job. It's like, oh, OK, you're paying me for what I'm worth and I do bring value to you. Yep, exactly. And then. Um, I just kept getting better and better and better. Um, and then also while I was at Intel and keeping my day job, I went to ASU and got my master's degree in information management because once again, that's what I was good at. And that's what I really have fun doing, just looking at data and turning it into information, which then you can be leveraged for knowledge so you yeah. can make critical decisions. Yeah, that's that's what I was good at. And I love that. Um, and I still love it. I don't do it as much anymore um, because I've needed to grow in my career. 
So I spent 11 and a half years at Intel doing that, specifically making the network better by fully understanding the data that it has. But also when it comes back to understanding my worth, um, while I was at Intel, I got an email probably about a year into me being here from my former manager, <laughs> actually not even my former manager. It was um, technically the CIO's admin. Mm. Okay. And um, she was like, uh, Darnika, would you consider coming back? <laughs> and it was, they actually wanted to add my original offer that I got from Intel. A year later, they wanted to add an additional 30000 on top of it. It, it turns out that they had to hire seven people to replace me. Right. And they ended up spending a lot more money. Okay. As a black woman, <laughs> I am not surprised by that statement because we, in, especially in tech, we end up doing way more than that job description. And when we leave, they're like, oh, I didn't know she was doing that much. Like, and I'm not surprised. Seven is a lot because for me, I think it was three people they had to hire when I left. But it's like, yeah, you don't want to give me the money. You don't want to give me the title or you don't want to give me this. Okay. But I mean, I applaud your um, Zach for telling you, you know, it's like, because he could have been selfish and be like, mm, no, Darnika, you shouldn't take that. But yeah, so they came back begging, huh? <laughs> yeah. And, and, and it was because like a lot of the stuff that he did technically didn't, there wasn't like one commonality. It's yeah. like KPI da dashboards was one thing. Um, I still did a lot of the stuff when it came to the change requests and the change, change review boards from a, from a software perspective. And I um, did another thing that had to do with real estate and development and all that kind of stuff. And then, you know, and I just did a lot of stuff that didn't. Right. But it was like, oh, that sounds like fun. That sounds like fun. You know, I am, and I'm that person. So I was like, oh, okay, it's good to learn all these different things. So it's just the fact that they couldn't find one person that found all of those things that I found fun, fun. <laughs> and everyone's like, I can do this piece, but nothing right. else. Yeah. Um, but then same thing happened to me here at Intel. Because when I figured, hey, I'm in, I've been in a, a cost center. And if people don't know the difference between a cost center and a profit center, when you work at a corporation, right. a cost center costs the company money to maintain. A profit center brings in revenue because they sell finished goods to make profits for the company. Um, but I decided, hey, I've been in, I'm in IT. I've, I've got this network so in tuned and so, you know, you know what's coming in. It's very predictable. I can't do any more. Right. It's been an 11, 11 and a half years getting it to where it you you can't fine tune it anymore. So just in generalities, I went from multi million dollars of maintaining the environment um, and paying for it to I think I reduced the total cost probably by about seventy percent wow. from when I started to when I left. Wow. Um, just from coming up with creative ideas to get more cost efficiencies. Um, and it got to the point where I didn't think I was that special, but I actually sat on the CIO's um, cost savings board. And anytime anyone in the whole CIO cost savings board, they're like, oh, we need to 
figure out how to come up with a million dollars. Hey, Darnika, how are you doing? Can you, can you figure out? I was like, there, there are 10 people on this board and we need to save a million dollars, but, but I'm the first person you come to. But they're like, because you can use your, your, I don't understand how you do it, but you can figure out how do you save money. Right. And I got really good at it. But then I was like, okay, now what? Right. Once you get really good at something, what's that next challenge? Yeah. And that's when I moved to a profit center in IOTG, um, Internet of Things Group, to be more specific, to have that next challenge. Um, and because Internet of Things was is essentially still like that next cool thing yeah. where you're putting technology into non-traditional form factors. I was intrigued and in trying to figure out where can I add value? Right. And that's my current journey that I'm on. Are you enjoying this current current journey? You know, it's ups and downs. So being in a profit center is a, it's significantly different than being in a cost center. Um, and that's good and bad. Um, good because there's always something new and exciting coming down the pipe. Right. Bad because it's always changing. The great thing about cost center, everything's predictable. Things are predictable. You don't get a lot of variations in, or at least where I was, you didn't yeah. get a lot of variations. It was a lot of the same where you were just getting slight enhancements on the same where here it's like, you can be at a in January. And next thing you know, you're at Z in April. And it's like, Whoa, how did I, how did I right. skip? <laughs> it's like, um, but I think that's also what makes it exciting because you never know what the next challenge is going to be. And I think that's what keeps me intrigued. It's like, okay, I'm, I'm that person that I'm really good with ambiguity. <laughs> I'm really good with, um, I don't have to have the same thing. I like that. I like to be challenged in different ways. And that's, that's where I am currently. I'm, I'm being challenged. I'm seeing things differently. Um, I feel that my, my opinion is valued. And I, I still feel that I'm adding value overall to the organization. Well, that's cool. And that's, that's, that is definitely valuable when you feel like they value you and you don't have to defend yourself or defend what you're saying. Cause you know, sometimes some of the challenges we as black women and women in STEM, it's like when you're in such a male dominated, it's like you have to prove yourself all the time in those rooms and those conversations and so with that, we, we see a lot of turnover or a lack of retention for African-Americans and African-American women's, women in tech. What are you seeing some things that companies or mentors or people can do better to help retain us? Because yeah. I want to say it's like a five or seven year and we're out. And, you know, you know, people, I know people that have been like, I can't do this. But what can what do you think are some strategies that can be implemented? Great question. And what's interesting is I actually think corporate wise, I'm in the right business unit to understand the value of inclusion and understanding and appreciating the differences of others. Um, because I'm in inter the Internet of Things group, the great thing about our group is the whole group believes that we need diverse perspectives to be successful. And the reason why is we're not selling or we're not creating products in traditional form factors. We're not creating servers. We're not creating desktops. 
That's not what we do. We're not creating laptops. That's not what we do. We put tech in everything else. And the question is, are we putting tech in the right things? Mm-hmm. And you need different perceptions and different perspectives and different ideas to go, hey, does it really make sense to put compute in that brush? <laughs> right. Do you, is everyone really going to really have access to a USB port? Like, is this something that can be useful in America or useful in Mexico or useful in Africa or useful in Asia? You know, we need we need that type of global mindset to go, are we even doing are we even identifying the right requirements? We got to understand who our customers are. <laughs> our customers look like everybody. Our customers look like the world. Right. And we have to have people in the room that are doing the product analysis to look like the world, to have that perception to go, hey can this really be used in the middle of the Sahara desert? You know, that's, that's one of the requirements happening here. Can, can, can we do that? Does that make sense? And that's what actually I, I love about being in this unique organization. I can't say that now, mind you, Intel as a whole is doing um, an inclusive journey, but where I am having many voices in the room matters Yeah, because it helps with profits, right? At the end of the day. No, when you just said that about can this brush be useful and does it have a USB, my brain just went to like so many different ideas. Like, oh my God, it, it took me back first to the soccer ball that I don't know her name that um, that generates electricity. Oh, yes. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, it took me back to that. And I'm like, well, our hair does produce static. And if certain people with certain long hair brush their hair, it can't, you know, like I learned. So I can imagine that room is probably so much fun when you guys are having those conversations about sticking it in different things. And because I just had it and I, I don't even I'm not even in the room and I got excited about hmm, how can a brush have some electronics inside of it? That's pretty amazing. That's pretty amazing that you guys. Um, have the diversity in the room to be able to see those different perspectives because yeah, a brush in all different sides of the country is used very differently because oh, yeah. of different hair textures or even a brush for animals and just, yeah. So yeah, like my brain is not stopping right now, but I need to get on. <laughs> <laughs> no. And, and, and for that reason, I can honestly say when I was IT, um, the organization had like specifically a network, there was probably like maybe 400 people globally. No, 600 people globally. Um, of that 600 people globally, there were two black women. Wow. That's- Me and another woman who was based out of um, our site in England. That is it. Yeah. And total black men, there were four out of 600. Yeah. Now, when I moved to IOTG, I couldn't turn around and not see another black woman or a black man. My whole group is so diverse across the board. And it's like, that's why I like working in this group. Because when it comes to, hey, this is what it's like to be a black person. You know, it's like, you don't have to say that because there is a diverse representation. And it's so refreshing. When I was at Toyota, I was the only black person on my entire floor. 
And then you don't have to explain your culture in that answer or when you're providing a like, what about this? You don't have to explain. Well, because the black culture is blah, blah, blah. Like that has to be so refreshing too. It's oh like, gosh, it is. Oh, yeah, I'm jealous right now. Um, <laughs> oh, and to have people appreciate that and also value that different perspective because once again, we're in an organization that needs those different perspectives. And if you yeah. don't, and are intentionally diverse. So, yeah, so I think um, what you're saying is definitely a great model for others to um, other companies and other people to strive for, because I think when you're able to freely be in a space and not have to speak for the whole culture or defend your culture or anything like that, it allows for more creativity. It allows for more collaboration and it allows for more inclusivity. Um like I said, I'm excited and I, I would love to just be a fly on the wall in one of those conversations one day if Intel ever decides to let's invite random people in to have a conversation. <laughs> That'll be me because I that stuff is fun. Like thinking differently and looking at things differently is. Uh, yeah, I'm excited. And I don't even work there, but all right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's, you know, if you really think about it, when people start working at Intel, it's hard for people to leave. Yeah. And it's hard for people to leave for a bunch of different reasons. A lot of it is I have, I can find a family here. Like I can, I can immediately find a network of people, number one, that look like me, that understand me and that I don't have to hide. And I think that's refreshing. Yeah. And who would have thought that coming to Arizona, (laughs) you know, Mind you, maybe not my immediate like living environment is yeah. diverse and I can't go out like I was when I lived in L.A. and see a whole lot of people that look like me. And but then everywhere I showed up, I spent you spend a most most of your days at work. Yeah. You spend most of the hours of a week at work. So when you show up and you're like, I have folks here. Right. <laughs> like That is so refreshing where, versus go in and you don't and then coming home and you're surrounded by people that look like you that that's helpful too but I it makes it fun to go to work no and I definitely agree with you on that so to um close out so you know we talked about finances earlier and money and things of how tech careers, STEM careers, engineering, science, and all that, people really don't talk about the finances and how enriching financing or the opportunities that come with the, um, with money. Because as when kids hear, they hear about athletes, celebrities, doctors, lawyers, and things like that. So what are some of the opportunities that your career in tech, your financial career has afforded you on a personal level? Because I think, you are a prime example of work-life balance in the sense of Darnika works hard and Darnika plays hard. <laughs> so what are some of the <laughs> things that because you've been fortunate and have worked hard, you have a, a career that is paying you well that you've been able to experience? Well, number one, yes. The finances that come with being in tech, yeah, it's 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 good. I'm not going to lie. Um, it was never thing, anything that I had ever anticipated. Um, but like I'm a homeowner, like when growing up in California, um, even before the boom and the crazy. Most of the people that I knew were just just constant renters, yeah. very few homeowners. I didn't know a lot besides my grandmother. 
everyone else I knew were renters. Um, and coming here, I bought a house within three years of me landing in Arizona because I was like, wow, I can afford it. I didn't know, you know, just and then having this, having the salary to support being able to buy a house as a single woman at the time. And that be be such an anomaly. Yeah. You go, oh, my gosh, you are a woman and you're buying this house. Are you sure you can afford it? Well, yeah, my finances say I can. <laughs> so I can. Um, but that number one, that was probably the biggest aha. Yeah. To, to where I learned, I'm like, oh, my gosh, I this is possible. I can be a homeowner. Yeah. I don't have to rent my entire life. Or I don't have to live in houses that my family have my entire life. Um, and then number two, now, mind you, I started doing this later in life, um, but I just, I found I deserve vacations. And while I don't consider myself, um, I, I don't want to say the word bougie, but I don't consider myself bougie or high class. First of all, you've earned the bougie status or the whatever. And so people say that about me. I'm like, thank you. <laughs> yes, I've worked hard and whatever your definition of bougie is, mine may be a little different, but hey, I'm gonna go with it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, and I'm, I'm, I consider myself very basic. I don't need to drive the fanciest car. I don't need to have the fanciest clothes. I don't need to have the fanciest things because you know what? Those are just things. They don't add value to my life. I have decided that experiences add value yes. to my life yes. and, and being able to have experiences matter to me. Yes. And I want those experiences to be wonderful and memorable and things that every time I see a photo, I can go right back to it. Yep. And because of that, I do crazy large trips. Yes, she does. <laughs> <laughs> I do crazy large trips um, from going to Fiji and, being in this condo with our own private pool and snorkeling in the middle of the ocean uh, to being on a solo safari in the middle of the Masimara during the Great Migration. Um, Greece, Italy. Uh, I just came back from Costa Rica where we were in the middle of the rainforest with this infinity pool overlooking the Pacific Ocean. Um I do have high class when it comes to travel because and you've earned it. <laughs> I have earned it. And I, and believe it or not, from a finance perspective, I set aside um, money every month to fund a travel fund. Like a lot of people don't do that, but I set aside a significant amount. I'm not going to say exactly how much, but no. enough to where when it's time for me to go on vacation, I don't have to worry about the finances. I make this small sacrifice because it matters to me. Yeah. No, I totally understand because, you know, I'm saving for my 50th because my 50th is going to be a month long celebration. There you go. Um, I haven't picked the location yet, but I I have the idea. So and that's the thing about it. It's like I don't think we um, experiences create the pe person experiences um, are everlasting and they're. And as you said, they're more valuable, in my opinion, too, than stuff. I was definitely into stuff back in the day. I had, girl, way too many Dooney and Burt's. And so that's why I've sold some. Like, I was very into that. And I think as you get older, you realize experiences and self-love and self-care and going out into the world is 
way more valuable than the perks you're carrying or the shoes you're wearing or the clothes on your back and things like that. So I definitely um, be fanning over some of your trips when you post them. I'm like, huh, I'm going to have to add that to my list. Okay, let me add that to my list. And so I cannot wait till we're completely, completely out of COVID so that we can get back to that type of extreme travel and vacations and and, you know, I think Steve Harvey said it in one of his posts a long time ago because he I guess he got some backlash for sharing all of his trips. And he's like, I'm not sharing to brag. I'm sharing so that you realize you, too, can come here or you, too, can do this. Like yep. we don't know about things we don't see. Mm-hmm. It's not something we don't Google search where to go and things like that. And so. I commend you on like, okay, these experiences are, are, is what I want. And there, one last thing I'll say is um, I was in this one workshop and this one lady said, write your biggest dream down. What are your biggest dreams? And, you know, we all have various things. And she's like, okay. She's like, so would that be Oprah's biggest dream? She's like, are you dreaming big enough? She's like, even our dreams sometimes don't go to the level that we should go because we're thinking in this current financial mindset. But if you're trying to become bigger, your finances have to become bigger. So you have to dream bigger. And so any last minute comments, thoughts, or anything you would like to share with the listeners about how technology has changed your life? Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, the thing I love most about technology is because it put me on a trajectory I never in my wildest dream thought I could be on. And it was literally the the exposure by one single person, yeah. one person that put me on this trajectory. Um, and because of that one little thing, I personally still give back. Yeah. And I I personally still try to invest in other youth to go, you know what? If you really love this, this is what you can do with it. Yeah. And I I I think there's just this destiny that I still haven't tapped into um, to help that next generation realize that this they can live their own wildest dreams if they just tap into what they love. Yeah. And two don't do what the world tells them to do. You know, you, you got to do what you, what your, what you feel your path is. And that's probably it. Because once again, I still am living my wildest dreams and I still pinch myself every day going, wow, how did I get here? I still don't know how I got there. I know it came with a lot of hard work and a lot of dedication and a lot of hours, but I never thought I would be here. Yeah, no, I, girl, we both could sit here and tell stories about not where we were supposed to be. Well, I would like to thank you for being on how technology changed my life. This has been a great conversation and I definitely think there will need to be a follow-up conversation because, you know, I definitely know what you do provide in the community. And I think we could probably have a follow-up conversation on how you do give back into the community. So I would like to say thank you. 